0: This is Cass Club Radio.
1: Brought to you by Heritage Distilling.
0: On Cass Club Radio, we believe every spirit has a story. And stories like good drinks are always better when shared with friends.
1: Each week, we'll explore the intersection of cocktails, spirits, beer, wine, and life.
0: It's Cass Club Radio. Here's your hosts, Lydia Cruz and Justin Stiefel.
2: Good afternoon. Welcome to another episode of Cast Club Radio. Thanks so much for hanging out with us today. My name is Lydia Cruz.
3: And I'm Justin Stiefel.
2: I'm Maura Dooley. We are officially into November now, and today marks the end of Daylight Savings Time. No,
3: It is. Got to set your clock back one hour. Not forward, but back. Mm-hmm. And this may be the last year we have to do this if the legislature changes the law in Washington.
2: Yeah, that is the that it seems to be the trend, not in, just in Washington and states... A lot of states across the country.
3: Yeah, yeah. Well, it's that way in China. I don't. I think they have only a one time zone, and that the, you know the country of China is as big as the U.S. is f- uh, from east to west. So imagine if we had one time zone where it would be uh, seven a.m. in New York, and we had business meetings, we had to have a, be a phone calls in Seattle at four a.m. Seattle time, but still it'd be seven a.m. That'd be crazy.
2: Yeah. Wow. Well. We'll we'll keep our eye on this and and see uh, how it changes. Do you have a personal preference? If you're, are you a fan? Or not a
3: fan. I'm I'm not particularly a fan. Okay. the uh, Especially in the spring, I don't like losing that hour in the spring. Yeah,
2: that's true. A, that, when you're younger, that that was always the that was always the tough one. Spring forward. <laughs> well, what else is going on in the heritage world? We talked a little bit about my batch last week on the show, and you guys have another cool event coming up, right?
3: We have one going on today in Roslyn, yeah, for those people over in eastern Washington. And big news at the Heritage Distilling, we are testing delivery to the home right now. We did our first tests in the Gig Harbor Market last night. Uh, Friday worked out some kinks, and we're starting to test this. Uh, we're going to test it for a few more weeks in the Gig Harbor. If it works, we'll be able to do it in all of our locations in Washington. Meaning, you go to the website heritagedesign dot com, you find the products you like, and within an hour or two, it's delivered to your house or to your office.
1: Can't wow!
2: Yeah. yeah, that is right in time too for at least you know the testing phase for the holidays. I feel like that would be great for gifts and things. So. That's you exciting. have to be
3: 21 and over, and some restrictions apply and uh, distances, of course. But we're working the kinks out. and We'd love to get feedback from folks out there.
2: Love it. Okay. Make sure uh, you log on to heritagedistilling.com and check it out and also give your feedback. In the meantime, yeah. what's going on in the headlines?
3: Uh, This came to us, we saw this on the news, uh, many outlets this week. A man became extremely drunk after his own gut brewed beer from carbs. (laughs) This is a 46-year-old man developed a rare condition known as auto-brewery syndrome, which causes his gut to create beer-like substances, some form of alcohol, after he ate carbs. He ended up with a medical journal uh, story about him. As a result, he was not identified uh, but it's in BMJ Open Gastroenterology Case Report. It details how he started having dizziness, brain fog, memory loss, aggression issues. About a week after he finished a round of antibiotics for a thumb injury, doctors couldn't figure out what was going wrong. They prescribed them antidepressants and so on. That didn't help. He got pulled over one morning, and he got arrested for drunk driving. He told the police he had nothing to drink, but the breathalyzer suggested he had a blood alcohol level. Equivalent to 14 boozy drinks. That's a lot. I mean, wow. that's, that's yeah. a ton. He was arrested, of course, and then uh, they had to go through the whole issue. And turns out that the his, the way his body turns carbs, grain-type stuff into alcohol during the, the uh, digestion process basically creates the equivalent of alcohol in his system. So fascinating story and, and uh, just one of those things that you never know what's going to happen.
2: Yeah, Moore and I were discussing. You know, it even sounds like something that you would make up. The name of it, Auto Brewery Syndrome. Yeah, I'd be like, sure, sure. buddy. Yeah, okay. course you have that. Yeah,
3: he has a literal beer belly.
2: Yeah. Uh,
3: next up, uh, from CNBC, Amazon, or one of our favorite backyard companies here in the Northwest, launches its own premium gin brand in the UK. They're adding to their long product line of uh, own-branded labels. It's their first spirit brand. It's called Tovis Gin. It is going to be a premium single-batch crafted dry gin selling for about 32 bucks, equivalent in the U.S., $32, U.S. Dollars, produced at a distillery on the outskirts of Birmingham in the U.K. It's been available since September 20th. It's promoted as a summer drink or uh, any kind of year drink, and those buying a bottle have to have proof of delivery on age. Gin is the most popular spirit in the U.K., and uh, more than a quarter of the population is buying gin sometime in uh, a 12-month period in the U.K., so it's a big deal.
2: And do you think that's why they're rolling this out in the U.K., just because based on popularity of that spirit across the pond—
3: for sure, but the delivery options for Spirits in uh, uh-huh. other parts of the world are way looser, way easier. It's uh, much more easy. In fact, you can line and order almost anything you want and have it mailed to you through the equivalent of U.S. mail to your house or delivered via packages. So much more loose over there and easier for a company to launch that. Here in the States, 50 states, 50 different laws, different warehouses all over. Uh, it's a mishmash here in the States for them to try and manage Are
2: that. we really surprised, too, Amazon getting in? Into- to just about every type of business these days. So honestly, I'm maybe even a little shocked that it took them this long to get into it.
3: It's regulated. Yeah. Lastly, this comes from the Sun Sentinel in Florida, Taco Bell. We talked about this earlier, these fast food chains, leveraging their real estate, their hours, their employees. They're going to start selling beer and slushy cocktails. The first one is in the South Florida location on Fort Lauderdale Beach. It launched just last week. Grand opening bash, they they had free swag, giveaways, live music, and all that. It's an upscale version of a franchise without the drive through but uh, it is aimed at college kids, they said, and the millennial set, along with your Doritos, Locos, Tacos. You can get draft beer or Twisted Freezies. Their spin on a frozen cocktail makes sense for South Florida. And I think we're going to see this move happen across the country more aggressively as margins get tight and fast food companies look to expand what are high margin areas. Alcohol is a very high margin area for them.
2: Would you partake, Mora? Does this sound appealing to you? Taco you know, Bell I've- Cantina?
4: Uh, I'm not gonna lie. I have Taco Bell every now and then. Yeah. If, if I was in a hot environment like that, like on vacation, I might get a slushy from might Taco dabble. Bell. Okay. How yeah. about you? Yeah. I
2: mean, you know, when in when in Florida, <laughs> that's how the saying goes, right? Yes. When in South Beach, <laughs> Fort Lauderdale.
3: <laughs> kind of. Yeah, yeah. I guess.
2: Our version. Coming up on Cast Club Radio, we talk a lot about wine on this show. We also have talked about wine tasting in the past. What are the best conditions? to make sure you're properly tasting wine. It's next on Cast Club Radio. to cast club radio thanks for hanging out with us today we talk a lot about wine on this show we love wine here in washington i think we're a little biased maybe but some of the best wine in america i think here is made here in washington and on the west coast and what are the best conditions for wine tasting we talk a lot about that as well but now blind tasting sounds like might be the best way to go
3: yeah, we, we talked about this last holidays because uh, we have a, a friend gathering right around the holidays where uh, we get together, everybody has to bring a bottle of wine in a brown bag, and uh, we do our own kind of blind tasting during a dinner and, and make a game out of it. Can you pick the varietal? Can you pick the style? Can you, can you pick the brand? Uh, that kind of thing. So uh, we found this article from Wine Enthusiast. It says blind tasting is the only way to rate wine fairly. Uh, blind tasting is the heart of the ratings and reviews at Wine Enthusiast. Wine Enthusiast is one of the bigger you know, publications that covers the wine industry for the uh, average consumer. But they ask the question, what does a blind tasting actually mean? Well, they aren't putting blindfolds on. They're not fumbling around for the wine glass, uh, although that would be fun to watch. <laughs> what it means is that the the wine bottles are stripped of their capsules or the, the top uh, portion that might have any branding. They're placed in the the paper bags like we talked about. They are arranged in peer group flights of the same or similar styles, varietal compositions, vintages, or appellations of about five wines, five wines per groupings. They're then tasted and scores are recorded, after which the bag is pulled off and the wine is revealed. Why is the method important? Well, it removes opportunities for bias and levels of playing field for all wines to receive the same analysis without any pre-existing expectations. That is to say, it removes all preconceived notions, good, bad, or in between. What types of bias exist, according to the article? Well, uh, let's say that you know a wine comes from a highly regarded producer. You might be inclined to look at it more favorably. The opposite certainly holds true. Maybe it's a low-end budget wine from one of the retailers, like Two Buck Chuck or something like that. Perhaps uh, you never have had a high-quality bottle from a certain producer. It's your first time with that producer. Maybe you've never had that vintage or that appellation or that variety. Do the wines really stand a fair chance if you're not taking all those biases off the table? Another important bias is price. We are unaware of price points uh, when we do blind tastings. Otherwise, an expensive wine is more likely to be thought of favorably than an inexpensive wine. Um, if you don't believe uh, that notion, put a bottle of wine in the paper bag at a party, tell half of your friends it costs 100 bucks, and tell the other half it costs only 15 And then determine from responses who likes it and who doesn't like it. You are almost guaranteed to have differences in how the two groups perceive it. That would be an interesting uh, little test to run during Thanksgiving, uh, Lydia and What do you think about trying to do that at Thanksgiving dinner?
2: Uh, Yeah. I mean, we do a little group project. I I just want to ask you guys, too. Let's be honest. This is a safe space. How often do you think that you are a victim of this type of shopping, whether you get suckered in based on the producer or the price?
3: Mara?
4: You know, I definitely think that sometimes when I'm just trying, I want to try a new wine, something that I haven't had before, and I'm looking at the store, uh, I can definitely fall victim to getting sucked in by a cool label, because that's a lot of times if you're just looking for a varietal, that's what you base it off of, the price point and the label. But I also think listening to what Justin just said, that it reminds me of when I was bartending, and I had heard that Grey Goose... Had actually not done very well in tastings. Like, had actually, people had said some that were just well vodkas. Mm-hmm. That, I think ours was like Crystal Palace, actually tested as well as Grey Goose in blind tastings. But people were willing to spend so much more to have Grey Goose in their cocktail. And sometimes it, it really is, like Justin said, if you tell someone that that's the more high end, more expensive one in their mind, they, they think that they're supposed to like it. So, yeah, it's, it's interesting the way it can play tricks on you.
2: I definitely have probably been a victim of, of both these, too. I, I go into a shopping center with, like, a price anchor like, a, a zone, like, a range with which in which I'm willing to work. And then, just like you, I can get suckered in based in on, on the producer or just who markets to me well, if it's a funny label or mm-hmm. a cute label. Yeah, I'm, I'm all in on that. Justin?
3: Well... I typically look at the producer and I assume that if the producer, uh, if there are other types of wines I've had that are good, I'm going to make the assumption that the other stuff from that producer is good, mm-hmm. vice versa. If, if I haven't liked one, I'm probably not going to try the next one. That's why quality is such an important thing. I try to triangulate between do I know the producer what were the points that were given on some of the more independent uh, judging scales, and then what's the price, and put those those three together. So if uh, if you have, uh, I'll, I'll give you an example. I was at Costco, and I, I found a bottle of BV, and it was ninety eight points, I think, for a two thousand fifteen blend, yeah, a Cabernet, and uh, it was like seventy five bucks. Well, seventy five bucks for a bottle of red wine at Costco is pretty expensive. Yeah, how? And so I wanted to try it, and I I tried it, and uh, it was really good. It was excellent. <laughs> Costco does a very good job. Their buyers in the wine department are some of the best in the world at hunting down interesting varieties, interesting vintages, and buying the entire lot. So the only place you can get that one particular vintage or style uh, Is going to be at a Costco. Then they put them all around the stores, you know, all around the country. And and uh, they, they put very aggressive prices on them in a good way. You know, they save their customers money. Mm-hmm. So I think all those things go into it. There will be that every now and then you're going to find a really high-quality wine where you're shocked at how little it costs relative to the, the quality of it. And that's always a pleasant surprise.
2: So wine enthusiasts did include how to properly taste wine, a couple of suggestions Um, Maybe we can just quickly run through some of these so people have a good idea.
3: Sure. Uh, First is good tasting conditions. Uh, Make note of the circumstances surrounding your wine tasting experience because that does affect the impressions. For instance, a noisy or crowded room makes it difficult to concentrate. Cooking smells, perfume, even pet odor can destroy your ability for your nose to get clear senses. Your nose and ability to smell affects how you taste things.
2: Oh my gosh, so much. I think that's the thing. As soon as you get a cold or you lose that ability to smell, you don't realize, but Mm -hmm. it affects your taste so much. So make sure, yeah, you can smell very well.
3: Your ability to taste is directly tied to your ability to smell, so that the, the two do go hand in hand. A glass that is too small, the wrong shape, or smells of detergent or dust, can affect the wine's flavor. Temperature of the wine is critical. Age of the wine, any residual flavors from what else you might have been eating. So if you're going to do this, you may want to wait until you have dinner later so the palate isn't wrecked. If a wine is served too cold, warm it with your hands by cupping the bowl. If the glass seems musty, give it a quick rinse with wine, not with water. Swirl it out, toss the wine, and get your fresh wine in there, and so on. Next is evaluating by sight. Once your tasting conditions are close to neutral, next step is to examine the wine through the glass. should be about a third full. Loosely follow the steps to evaluate the wine visually and for uh, legs on their wine. So the first on visual is straight angle of view. You look straight down into the glass Hold the glass to the light and then give it a tilt so it rolls towards the edges. This allows you to see the wine's complete color range, not just the dark center, which uh, is also affected by the size and uh, diameter of the glass.
2: Wine enthusiasts included some things uh, when it comes to just evaluating by sight.
3: That's right. Side view, tilted view, swirl. So that's really how you're going to hold the wine up to the light, swirling around, tilting the view. Then the swirl, when you give the glass a good swirl, you're looking for legs or tears that run down the side of the glass. Wines that have good legs are wines with more alcohol and glycerin content, which generally indicates they're bigger, riper, full of more mouthfeel and more dense.
2: Now, Justin, you guys have mentioned before that you like to do some blind tastings at holiday parties. Is that going to continue this year?
3: It will. Oh yeah. Yeah. We look forward to it. And you know, we're excited. And uh, sometimes I, I stack the deck with a bottle that's really amazing. And sometimes I throw a real stinker in there.
2: <laughs> just to see, just to test your friends. Why not? What are holidays just for? Just to see. I love it.
3: Well, because when when people, especially if it's a bottle that you know is not going to be well received to watch everybody's expression and nobody wants to be the first one that says something negative they don't want to be the first one that says they don't like it because they think in their mind they are not a good judge of the quality of the product like what Maro's talking about with with selecting a certain high-end thing by by brand so but as soon as the dam breaks open and somebody makes the first negative comment <laughs> the rest of the table blows open
4: and also up next we'll be talking to carrie and freddie ardondo of cave b estate winery
2: Right now, we are joined by Carrie and Freddie Arredondo, both responsible for making some incredible wine at Cave B Estate Winery. Thank you guys for joining us.
5: Thank you for having us. Thank you.
2: Pretty incredible story here, especially we love talking to people who have made a huge impact in this local community. And can you tell us a little bit about the origin story behind Cave B Estate Winery?
1: Yeah, I can. I um, can. KB State Winery was founded by my parents, uh, Vince and Carol Bryan, and they actually bought the land over there. Um, Most people, most of your listeners would know it as the land next door door to the Gorge Amphitheater. They bought that land in 1979 The several hundred acres that they purchased. It was all sagebrush except for about 100 acres of alfalfa. Wow. And they purchased (laughs) it to grow grapes specifically. My dad was a neurosurgeon and had grown up, in Brooklyn, New York, dreaming of being a farmer when he looked out into the alleyways. And, uh, you know, was half Irish, half Italian, and um, he used to play his accordion and love music and whatnot. Eventually, fast forward, he became a neurosurgeon, came out to Washington State during the Vietnam War after he uh, was stationed at the Bremerton Naval Base, I had met my mom in high school. Um, and so they moved the family out here after they fell in love with Washington from there. And at neurosurgery's life death every day. And so they wanted something that was a stress reliever and something that they could do together. So he went back to his childhood dream of being a farmer and decided they wanted to plant grapes. That Italian side of his heritage came out there and wine grapes was just the way to go in his mind. And um, so they purchased it in 1979 and planted our first vineyard in 1980. Uh, It takes a grapevine about four years to to really grow to the point that the grapes are good enough to harvest for wine. And at that point in time, they felt like they had really good quality grapes there and wanted to, um, although it was not their original intention, to start their own winery. So they reached out to friends, family members, colleagues, different people, and created our first winery, Champs-de-Briot, with the partnerships of other people. Um, And then they went on from there for that grand opening of that winery, Back then, if people now go to the gorge, it's all paved roads. Back then, everything was dirt roads, and oh. we really felt like we were in the middle of nowhere. And so for the grand opening of that winery, my mom sent out, I think, a 1,000 invitations to George and Quincy, and she got a 1,000 yes, we're coming to that grand opening wow. back. And so they wanted to have a nice venue, a nice place for them, so they planted Kentucky Bluegrass. And they didn't realize it did not germinate in the summertime. So they had a dust bowl around the winery. (laughs) And so they uh, decided, how can we get people to walk to where what was on our property? And it was our picnic area. And there's four kids in my family. It always brings friends over from Seattle and elsewhere to picnic right there. And um, they soon realized during some of those picnics that When someone would run down the hill and be at the bottom of the hill, they could hear really, really quite easily their conversation. um, (laughs) And they realized just some amazing natural acoustics that were there. So for the grand opening of that first winery, champs de DeBrion, when the grass did not grow, (laughs) uh, they decided, let's get people to walk down that quarter of a mile to our picnic spot and see that beautiful view and have wine down there. So we had old irrigation ditches that they um, were no longer using, and we had a backhoe. And so they went down there, and they terraced it. We planted sod. My dad and my brother built the first stage. And the grand opening happened, and people walked there, and they loved it. We had the Wenatchee Dixieland Jazz Band at the time come out. And they realized that they were onto two things. One, that they loved the wine business, although at that point in time it was very small. Now there's over 900 wineries in Washington. At that time there was probably about 15. Mm -hmm they were very much pioneers at that time. And they realized that people loved the music right there and the acoustics were as good as they thought. And so they just continued to grow that for another seven years until um, they sold it to MCA. And then they continued to plant more grapes and focus on the grapes for another 10 years. And then in 2000, they launched the KV label. Wow, um, that's
2: so incredible! Yeah. They, and you can see a lot of these pictures and 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 read more about the story online at kb. dot com. It's it's absolutely phenomenal. And uh, so, one question that we didn't really get to, but how did they decide on the soil here in in Washington? Why was that so, so important to them?
0: Well, I'll speak to that one. Yeah. Um, and with the soil, uh, what they were really looking for is they, they took these family trips to France and, and studied different uh, soil types and proximities to water and elevations and uh, all of these things. And uh, they came back with a basically a, a list of criteria that they wanted for the, the quote-unquote perfect vineyard spot. Um, they gave the list, list to a, to a commercial real estate agent. The real estate agent was on the hunt for a while. They didn't hear from him. For, for about six or eight months, uh, Vince and Carol tell the story. And then suddenly they get a phone call out of the blue. I think we found your spot. <laughs> so so they went out and they found this place that is now Cave B, and it's gorgeous. And then the reason it has uh, these wonderful attributes is because of the Missoula floods that created the gorge. While it was creating the gorge, it also left behind a different soil deposits. So on our property, we have about five different soil types oh, wow. um, with different slightly different compositions of soil and also different uh, rock composition in the soil profile. So those different rocks uh, ranging from calcium carbonate to solid basalt to pumice basalt make up the vineyard's uh, uh, unique nature, I guess, uh, because they're, they're so diverse. And, and over the years, a lot of it through trial and error, we've figured out where different varieties grow best on the property. So really what, 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 we have is we have a number of micro vineyards compared to a lot of the big farmers and some some vineyard blocks are as small as a quarter of an acre we've just looked at, at trying to trying to find the spots that are perfectly suited to the variety
2: wow yeah is there anything comparable to that that you guys know of i mean is it just so unique to this region
0: uh, you know not that i know of there are there are, don't get me wrong there are tons of phenomenal growing areas in the state mm-hmm. i am not aware of any that are as diverse in such a small area as our space is. And I'm sure when, if some, some winemakers hear this spot, they're going to call me and, and uh, <laughs> tell me that I'm wrong. No. But, <laughs> but that, So I'm saying not that I'm aware of them. I'm yes. not saying they don't exist. I'm it's just saying caveat. I'm not aware of them. Yes, <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah.
2: through this whole learning and process, you mentioned trial and error. What have you guys learned over the years and how is that reflected in the wine you make?
0: I will say that the first Miss Carroll originally bought the property to plant, Pinot Noir, believe it or not, they, they quickly found that that was not going to work. <laughs> but but as far as the varieties that work well, it just it varies so much. I mean, we've got Sangiovese. Let me just say it this way. From where our Sangiovese is planted, which is on the terrace slopes that are most westerly on the property, to where our Riesling is planted, which is um, basically right up by Silica Road, they're about a mile apart from one another. But the, but the difference in frost-free days is about 40 to 45 days difference, which is... Crazy.
1: Wow.
0: Also, in in growing degrees, um, there's a there's about a two two degree temperature difference. It's two degrees warmer where the Sangiovese is, to where the Riesling is. So there, there's a huge huge variety. No, yeah. we we grow
1: 18 different varieties of grapes and make produce 25 different wines, which is really people are always shocked at that and they always ask yeah. what our our best one is, our favorite one is. And I think what KVB is known for the most is that. Quite honestly,
0: Freddie does a great job of making them all very true to so the, to the, the true to the variety. I try mm-hmm. I try and keep the wines very varietally correct as, as much as I can. Obviously, we're in Washington, so so you know a a, a Malbec here is not going to be the same as a Malbec from Bordeaux. Mm-hmm. But um, I, I I do try and keep that, that varietal characteristic in the wine. And, and my philosophy behind winemaking is that you know anybody can make a wine that tastes like toasted wood um the key is to make a wine that retains varietal character while using oak as an ingredient to um to enhance the wine but not mask the varietal character.
4: Wow.
2: Well you mentioned that like it's so easy though. That's why I <laughs> laugh, because I still think it's so impressive what you guys do and also just what uh Cave B and also ha- and their original winery have meant to this community and The fact that now we have great music out at the Gorge because of you guys, essentially, is just wonderful. So how can people find out more information about Cave B and the cool events that you guys have year-round?
1: Yeah, well, I'm going to tell you one uh, one thing, the best place probably, is to go to our website, which is just uh, cavebee.com. Not to be confused with the in-restaurant and spa website, which we sold two years ago. So cavebee.com is specifically the winery website. We also have two tasting rooms, one in Woodenville and one in Quincy, at the winery and vineyard site. And we're also opening a new tasting room in Tri-Cities, um, in Kennewick specifically. And all the tasting rooms, all the staff is very knowledgeable about all the events and whatnot. I also manage that we have a Facebook that I keep very up to date and always will have event listings there. And we also have an Instagram account and a Twitter account. So lots of different ways that people can find us. And I also wanted to mention, I told my father recently, I feel like I'm reliving my childhood because (laughs) we have started three years ago, right in front of our Quincy tasting room. We built a, what we call Stage B amphitheater. And Mm. so it is an outdoor, beautiful venue with the vineyards right behind it. We have the Paper Boys, which is a wonderful band from Vancouver, Canada. come out on Saturday, and they played for us. And before that, we did a Music and Wine in the Vine event where we walked to five different sites and had cellos in the Cabernet Vineyard, strings in the Syrah, brass in the oh, Barbera, wow. eight yeah. players in the Barrel Cave. And at each site, they got to people got to taste the wine that came from that specific place, vineyard. Well, besides the Barrel Cave, there we had our wonderful Sauvignon Blanc, and Freddie our here got to talk there. So we do really fun events, interesting ones, so perfect. lots of different things.
2: Yeah, yeah. I was going to say, something for everybody on the list. And, and we'll make sure people check out com, find out more information. Thank you guys so much for joining us today. We really appreciate it.
1: Thank you so much for having us. Thank you.
4: Coming up next, we have Distiller Dane with the new Top 5. It's next on Caswell Radio.
2: Welcome back to cast club radio we've got a great new cocktail recipe here for you in just a moment but first we are joined by one of our favorites distiller dane how's it going
5: how are you guys doing
2: pretty darn good getting ready for daylight savings time today to end are you Oh,
5: up? i forgot that was even happening and I know. Uh, there's potential chance it might not ever be coming back again
2: yeah maybe we should just you know pour one out for daylight savings time <laughs> this year
5: I can definitely get on that. Okay,
2: perfect. Well, uh, we look forward to hearing your new top five. Maybe there is some sort of holiday-related, winter-related type of things in here, I could imagine.
5: Oh, yeah. There's a few fall-related things going on this, this week.
2: I love it. Well, without further ado, let's dig in. What's up first?
0: number
5: one on my list is a new cocktail bar, and this is called Daphne's Bar, and it was over in Edmonds. So I recently spent a day over in Edmonds for, I think, the first time ever downtown. And it's a really small, fun, and quaint cocktail bar, which is only about eight seats at the bar, so it's easy to walk by, but I would definitely recommend stopping by for a drink or two when you're in the area. They whip up a mean Sazerac, and they only have one rule at this place, and no couples allowed on Valentine's Day.
4: (laughs) Oh, I love it. As a server who had to work many Valentine's (laughs) Days that were kind of, I don't know how else to say it, kind of sickeningly Mm. sappy, I appreciate that.
2: Yeah, respect. Okay, number two on the list.
5: (laughs) All right, number two on my list. Uh, The temperature is dropping. It's been pretty chilly out lately, but nice weather. Uh, But that means one of my favorite dishes is coming out of the cookbook, and that is a good old-fashioned stew.
2: Yeah. Mm. yeah.
5: And I like the classic lamb or beef with just carrots, celery, and then I like to make mashed potatoes separately and then put a glob of it in the middle
3: of the bowl.
2: There you go. Yeah, that sounds good. Yeah, I'm a huge soup person. As soon as the weather turns, but even stew takes it to the next level. I like it.
3: No roadkill thing.
5: <laughs> no roadkill, unless you're getting okay. really hungry. Okay. <laughs> All right. Number three. Three on my list is Paul Red's new Netflix show. Have you guys watched this yet?
2: I've heard about this. Is it one episode? Thing? Yeah.
5: Yeah, it's called Living With Yourself, and basically Paul Rudd's character goes under this unique treatment, which essentially just creates a clone that is a better version of himself. (laughs) Uh, So there's like a little drama, a little comedy, and it's just sort of intriguing to watch him play both characters that are the same person, but different personalities.
2: I really like that. I love Paul Rudd. I saw his Halloween photos posted with uh, his daughter. They went trick-or-treating. She went as the Wasp, and you would think, you know, Dad actually played Ant-Man. Maybe he would go as him. No, he went as Weird Al Yankovic (laughs) and looked awesome (laughs) doing it, but that's just Paul Rudd for you. I love it.
3: Paul Rudd's got a cool demeanor when he acts. He's kind of one of those. He does. Yeah. does Yeah. Yeah. All right, number four. Number four on my list,
5: The Leaves Are Changing Color as you guys may have noticed, and they're actually beginning to drop now that we've had a little couple windy days, and there are many scenic places to see amazing views of them. So number four on the list is fall hikes.
2: Yeah. yeah. Is there one that's particularly scenic or that you like your go-to?
5: Yeah, I like to, in the beginning of October, I kind of like to go to, like, the North Cascades area, mm-hmm. um, but kind of all the higher elevation areas are already getting snow. for kind of early, but good for the skiing and snowboarding season coming up. Uh, but for like a quick and easy trip, you can kind of go down to like the Mount Sea or North Bend area. There's a bunch of rivers and creeks that you can walk along through there. That's pretty nice.
3: Conditions were perfect this year. This has been probably one of the prettiest foliages uh, in this area in the last five to seven years. It's just been amazing.
2: I just stopped myself from just like in public. Just I'm just looking at <laughs> leaves all the time. Trees, leaves. Yeah, it's so pretty.
3: And the weather conditions started back in the spring to lead up to why wow, it's so perfect. So this is the this is the if you if you like this kind of foliage, this is the perfect kind of weather year you want.
4: The payoff for a little bit of a short summer. Yeah. That's right. Like That's that. Right.
3: All right, number five.
5: Number five on my list is Cloudburst Brewing. Um, and this is a brewery downtown Seattle, right to, right next to Pike Place Market, started by an ex brewer from the Seattle Staple Elysian Brewing. And I would definitely go to their tap room to check them out because they don't distribute like um, to a lot of places outside of it. And they seem to have what is constantly changing beer list, you know, in their tap room. They're most known for their delicious IPAs, but you'll find um, other styles such as some lagers and stouts. A definite must stop for a pie next time you're in the area.
4: I walked brewing. there all the time when I lived in Belltown. It looked like a cool spot. Well, perfect, well, another great yep. top five,
2: Dane. Thank you so much. There's some uh, great. We'll fall things just as you promised.
3: All right. Thanks, guys. We'll talk to you later.
2: All right. Sounds good.
3: (laughs) Go make more BSB. All right.
2: Thank you, Dane. Before we get out of here, as always, we've got a great new cocktail recipe for you. Speaking of things that are great in the fall and the cold weather, this one should go well with that.
3: Well, fresh rosemary abounds outside. Uh, You pick it. It's got an amazing aroma. Uh, This is our rosemary ginger cider. Requires a shaker, put some ice in it, get two ounces of BSB, brown sugar bourbon, one and a half ounces of unfiltered apple cider, the fresher the better, a quarter ounce of lemon juice and a quarter ounce of ginger syrup. Shake it and then strain it into a tumbler with ice. Garnish it with a sprig of fresh rosemary and a thin apple slice. This is the rosemary ginger cider
4: sounds amazing
2: yeah it does and could you even i love hot apple cider is this one that you could also make warm if you wanted to
3: you could because you're not using ginger ale you're using ginger syrup mm-hmm. uh, so you're not worried about the heat messing up the carbonation
2: yeah i think that would be that would be really good on one of these uh, cold days because yes even though we've had great luck with the sunshine it's still been pretty cold out there so yes. this would This would warm you up. We'll make sure this cocktail recipe is available for you online at heritagedistilling.com. You can check out past cocktail recipes there as well.
3: That's right. And if you have any comments, questions, topics, or ideas, email us at caskclubradio at com. You can also follow us on Instagram and Facebook at caskclubradio. You can find information about us at heritagedistilling.com. Again, be on the lookout for options to have spirits delivered to your door on our webpage. And uh, also we're using the hashtag brown sugar bourbon for Instagram and hashtag drinking BSB.
2: Don't forget to set your clocks, everybody, and you know maybe enjoy perhaps this final daylight savings time moment. We'll see if, it, uh, if it's still around, but it's been fun while it lasted. <laughs> That's right. We'll see you back here next week. Uh, have a great weekend.
0: Cheers. Thanks for listening to Cask Club Radio, brought to you by Heritage Distilling. Check us
1: out on MyNorthwest.com to learn more and catch up on past episodes.
0: Cask Club Radio, brought to you by Heritage Distilling.